Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Four, three, two, one. I told you before to be careful where you put your legs. I was only trying to be helpful. I can help myself. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! For seven decades, Michael Caine has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed. A one-inch god with a two-inch penis. The star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Would Be King, and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed. But also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. With me, it's a full-time job. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie, from the greatest hits... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! ...to the incredible misses. You failed to maintain your weapon, son. And take a deep dive into the life and work of one of the world's most recognisable film stars. His name is Michael Caine, and no one will forget his name. To understand how he is made... The Mark of Cain. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. For God's sake, come in! Hello and welcome to The Mark of Cain, our regular truffle hunt through the films of Michael Cain, watching every single movie made by the great man, from the classically delectable to the ones that make you maybe feel a little bit queasy for a day or two afterwards. My name is Michael Foley, and joining me as always on this long march is Stephen Black of the Mallow News Twitter Emporium. You'll find him over on at Mallow News, making various humorous observations on stuff. But today is a good day for us, Stephen. Yes, uh, just a quick question on the whole truffle hunting. Are we the, mm-hmm. the adorable little spaniels that you frolic around the place finding little little nuggets of uh, of tasty gold, or are we the kind of shit covered pigs that the the you know the less well off farmers employ to find the truffles? Most days we're the pigs. Most days we're the pigs on this, but today we're the shiny little spaniels. Well, that's fair. That's good to know. Yeah, no, this is a, this is a good day now. We're in that zone again now, you know, where Kane makes a succession of movies somewhere between mediocre and god awful, then just followed by this absolute titan of a picture, you know, an absolute stonewall gem. Like the last time we were on, we were talking about the Thirty Years' War and the Last Valley and shaking our fist at the sky again about his film choices. And I was agonizing about where his career was going in 1971. Uh, and then he heads up to Newcastle and he makes a film called Get Carter. Uh, and I mean, just everything is good again now. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I said before, watching Michael Caine films is an awful lot like being Andy Dufresne at the end of, of Shawshank. You know, you're crawling through, um, you know, however many football fields of, of, of sewer shit, uh, only to emerge briefly, uh, gloriously naked in the rain, uh, being cleansed, <laughs> only, to fi- only to find yet another fucking uh, network of sewers ahead of you. You know, so it's a, kind of a, an Ouroboros of fucking sewer tunnel with, with occasional uh, brief ready respite yeah we're, we're we're dancing in the rain now at this point all right i mean this is just i mean what can you say about Kat carter like we were talking about this during the week i mean what can you say that hasn't been said before it's just a mighty mighty film it's a great film really really good solid gangster exploitation movie uh mm-hmm. best best movie so far for my for my uh for my book so uh yeah yeah had a great time watching also i watched it in one sitting which i haven't done in a while because 
the last couple of movies that we've uh, we've watched or I've watched certainly have been a bit of an old struggle. Yeah, and like you can always, I, I'm finding that you can you can gauge your own enjoyment of these cane films by how many times you check how long is left. And I, I, yeah. I doubt if I checked it at all watching a Carter. No, it's really pacey. There's no lags in it. There's no kind of you. You could like there's maybe a couple of things from a let's say an ethical perspective that you might want to to excise from it, but certainly from an enjoyment perspective, you're not going to go and now you could get rid of that and it'd be a, yeah. a lot pacier. No, it's just brilliant. It's just absolutely brilliant. I mean, it wasn't considered a classic at the time. It's obviously matured into a classic down the years. But I think there's still enough to get into here. Like, you know, I mean, it says, I think, I think anyway, that, you know, he did get Carter at a time in his life when he had a bit of, he had a bit of anger in him anyway. And it's a role that he's invested in because, you know, he recognizes Carter in people that he knew as a, as, as a young man in the East End of London, so he's investing a lot in it. He's invested a lot in this, and we can talk about, we've talked about it before, we talk about it again, about how important it is in Kane films that he's invested. It's really important. So there's, there's, there is a lot to get through here, all right. So look, let's just strap in, let's get ready for this. It's 1971, it's gangstery, it's gritty, there's a lot of shotgun action, there's a fair bit of Kane flesh on show as well, actually. And some of the most brilliant moments of the great man's career all gathered up in the mighty Get Cat. One day, a professional killer went home to visit his family and found his brother murdered. Now, who killed him? I don't know nothing. Listen, the only reason I came back to this crap house was to find out who did it. And I'm not leaving till I do. Michael Caine is Carter, a man with unbridled hate. Do you want to be dead, Albert? For Christ's sake! You knew what I'd do, didn't you, Elvis? Listen, Grant, I didn't kill him. I know you didn't. When a professional killer hates, he turns animal. And there becomes but one law in the underworld jungle. Get Carter. Okay, so where do we start with Get Carter? Do we start with the plot? Do you want to give us a quick run through? Yeah, yeah. I'll try and make it quick because it is it is a bit plotsy, to be fair. And maybe when I'm, if if it's getting boring, stop me, okay? Because it's not. I don't want to do. I don't want to do this film down. It is not in any way boring. It's a fucking brilliant film. But let's get through. Story is that Frank dies in a drink driving accident, but Jack ain't buying that. So he wants to find out what's happened. So he goes up to all his old haunts. He finds an old associate, Eric, who's played by Ian Hendry. He finds him at the races. And Eric refuses to tell him who he's working for now, but he do, Carter follows him to the house of Cyril Kinnear, who's played by John Osborne, actually the playwright and an old mate of Keynes, uh, who plays the crime boss, who also tells him little enough. Eric, in passing, just tells Carter just to be careful about damaging relations between Kinnear and Carter's bosses in London, the Fletchers. But in Lee Marvin, kind of point-blank style, he ignores all this, and he eventually gets a name to follow, and the name is Brumby. So he visits this guy, Brumby, who's played by Brian Mosley, who people might... Uh, remembers Alf Roberts from Coronation Street, who says he knows zero about Frank's death. And in the meantime, Carter's also minding Doreen, Frank's daughter, and trying to pin down Frank's mistress, Margaret, for a bit more information, which she keeps dodging him. Uh, a couple of boys from London are sent to bring Jack home because they're hearing, well, he's causing a bit of trouble, so let's get him out of there. But he dodges him, and he gets rescued by a woman, Glenda, who he has met at Kinnear's place previously when he went to uh, ask him a few questions. So she takes him to Brumby, again, who now says Kinnear was behind Frank's death. And Brumby offers Carter money to kill Kinnear, who's threatening Brumby's gaming business. Uh, but Carter thinks he's being played. So he leaves with Glenda. They have some sexy time. 
And after the sexy time, Carter finds a pornographic movie starring Glinda, Frank's mistress, Margaret, Frank's daughter, Doreen, and another old associate of Carter's, Albert. Uh, Albert, who, by the way, is played by Glyn Edwards of Zulu and Ipcris and later Dave and Minders. <laughs> so I recommend or remember him anyway. Uh, so the movies are being made by Kinnear. Uh, Carter's old mate. Eric apparently gets Doreen involved. So when Carter gets all his information out of Glenda, he sticks her in the boot of the car and goes looking for Albert. So now things start to get a bit tidied up now from this point. So he finds, he finds Albert in the bookies. Albert tells him that Brumby showed Frank the movie involving his daughter and his mistress and so on to incite him to call the cops on Kinnear. And Eric then arranged Frank's death. Carter kills Albert after getting all this detail out. Uh, then there's a shootout with these London guys who are trying to bring him home. And in the melee, uh, the car that Carter was driving gets shoved into the river. But of course, Glinda's in the boot, so he, she gets drowned. Eventually, Carter finds Brumby. He beats him up, chucks him off a high building, and then posts the pornographic movie to the police to nail Kinnear. Uh, in the meantime, he's made a deal with Kinnear to get Eric, who's the man who killed his brother, in exchange for Carter's silence. Kinnear agrees, but he also hires a hitman to kill Carter. So Carter then takes Margaret off. Frank's mistress kills her and plants her body on the grounds of Kinnear's house. Then he goes off to meet Eric, who he kills after a chase down an incredibly grim beach. So he's walking back down the beach, smiling. But there's one more brilliant twist. He's just about to fire the shotgun that he actually never fires in the movie, but carries it around all the time. He's about to fire the gun into the sea when he's shot by the hitman. It's a fantastic twist at the end of just an unrelentingly bleak, powerful highly intense film and i mean you're right it's the best film we've seen so far involving kane we both thought that the italian job was his best performance today i think this one it beats the italian job up a stick yeah i mean i'd say from the italian job's perspective it's pretty much kind of a road leading man charming a uh, bit of a bit of a geezer role uh, which he did very very well but this actually requires him to plumb emotional depths that he's previously only kind of skimmed over so it's 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 excellent uh, and he's excellent in it. Uh, I mean, where to start? I mean, Mike Hodge's direction is fantastic in this. It's, you know, gives mm. it almost a documentary-like feel, especially the kind of the opening credits and when he's, you know, making the trip down to Newcastle. It almost looks like a really bleak 70s ad for British Rail. Uh, he's going down business class, obviously, or first class there, you know, enjoying his 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 full English breakfast of, you know, eggs, poppers and downers or whatever it is. <laughs> he's, he's on. Come here, did you tweak? Because I didn't, that the hitman is on the same train. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. No. Um, but it, he is. He's he's on the same yeah. train. We rec- he's not even given a name. That poor guy, like he's not even given a name. He's got an, a ring with a J on it. He's actually, and I think in the original print, the guy who plays J, who quite appropriately, I've forgotten his name now, but he's not actually in the original credits either in the, in the closing credits. That I, it's, a, it's unbelievable. But he is, yeah. Apparently he's on the train uh, going to Newcastle as well, yeah. And Newcastle as well. I mean, Jesus, what a what a background. I mean, yeah, it's so unbelievable. I, I'd say it must have done it must have done for the Newcastle tourist industry what Chernobyl did for the Pripyat uh, tourist industry because Jesus, <laughs> I can't imagine anyone as bleak as seventies Britain was. Uh, anyone from outside Newcastle looking at get Carter going, Jesus, I'd love to go there for for a stag do. It, like there was an old ad for Hovis bread back in the eighties. Do you remember this? Was it a lad pushing a no, bike I, up a I, Again, this would have been on a, on a non-terrestrial channel, so I wouldn't have been exposed to the likes of your posh TV. Yeah, or posh TV, or, or clothes hanger hanging off the chimney, grabbing the signal from Wales. Um, there was an ad for Hovis uh, with a lad pushing, I think it was a bike up a cobbled street, 
um, delivering bread was all very kind of idyllic. Well, I mean, this is the sort of nightmare version of this, the streets, the cobbled streets. It's dark, it's dank, it's smoky, uh, it's coal everywhere. Um, it's just so gritty. And as you say, Mike Hodges had a background with world and action. He had a background in documentary, which, and, you know, again, we go back to this thing about, I think everybody in this film is invested in various different ways. He goes and does huge research into um, it's kind of the, the Newcastle underworld, if you like. I mean, what what does it feel and look like to be a gangster? Uh, and Kane, similarly, as you say, he plums his own background and his own knowledge of these things. He said a very interesting thing about it uh, not 20 years ago. Um, he said that Carter is the dead-end product of my own environment. He said he's the ghost of Michael Caine. Yeah, that sounds like bullshit. <laughs> I thought it was a very nice kind of way of putting it. Oh, it's a good quote. You know, I'd say you know, it's a great quote for an interview or for you know for publicity or like that. But it's bullshit. There's no way. I mean, Jesus, there's nothing in his in his biography that gives away the fact that he was in any way attempted down the the, the path of uh, of of a gangster. Should Jesus Christ, remember he was so afraid of having uh, having sex when he was in Korea, in case he might get the clap that he just abstained completely. Like this isn't a, a near to well gangster who's you know uh, watching pornography with with his mates and you know. Uh, regularly um, uh, uh, having impassioned embraces with uh, uh, with the ladies of the night, you know? Well, he, yeah, but he, I mean, to be yeah, he, he has said himself that he was a physical coward is his own words, but he, he has also said that he did join a gang at some stage in his teenage years. And like he did base this character on someone he knew. Actually, the gangster that he based it on told Kane after he thought the film was rubbish. <laughs> he thought it was so rubbish. So, I mean, he is... He's um he's 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 drawing on something, um. But I think I think also like my kind of pop psych sort of theory is that this is a period of his life just before he meets his his wife Shakira, and he's he's drinking a lot. He's in a kind of a dark enough place, and I think he's drawing. I think he's drawing on that. Like what amazed me about it when I was I was reading about why was he drinking at this point. I was kind of curious because he's done so many interviews down the years, and you kind of wonder why. What's the answer? He talks about being tortured by the idea at the time that he was not going to get another decent movie, that he was he had a level of self-examination and self-doubt that was actually damaging him. Like he's like he's loaded. He's money isn't a problem, but he's still concerned that he needs to keep the money rolling in. Um, he's afraid that he might he, his acting career might disappear. It's not going to disappear, but he's he seems to be tormented by all this stuff around the time he's making Get Carter. And I think that feeds into I think that feeds into what he what he brings to it. Maybe maybe that feeds into it more so than the gangster stuff that he's drawing on. Also, it's called acting though, isn't it? What do you mean? You know, they give you the lines. You invest some emotion. You, are you, are you, it, you know, yeah, yes, I suppose he may be drawing on something, you know, like a bit more than, you know, uh, just just doing that. But also at the end of the day, you know, he is he is an actor. He's supposed to act. And I think from, from a personal perspective, this is the first kind of movie that he's actively gone out and produced. So this is his first producing venture. So he's yeah. been involved in it from the very beginning in terms of optioning the book, in terms of getting recruiting uh, with his co-producer, Mike Hodges. So he, that, I think, uh, like I say, with all of them, it may not even be the most, I think it's the actual investment of his time and his interest in making yeah. it a success reflect, you know, has an exponential effect on his performance. Yeah, and Mike Hodges gets the best out of him. I mean, he knows sort of when to let the camera linger on Kane. I mean, how many times in this movie do you have conversations going on off camera, but the camera stays on Kane? 
Yeah, no, he's completely the focus of the of the movie, and rightly so. Um, and you know, he's allowed for. The, I mean, he's letting actual emotions pass across his face, so it's a bit more than the standard, let's say, blockbuster treatment that he was given. He's you know, given it given it all to in the previous movie. So this is the first. Anyway, for me, it's the first actual time that I've given serious consideration to him actually being the character actor that he that he says he is. You know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was a scene. Um, it was there was a scene when he's watching the pornographic movie and he yeah. realizes that his niece is in this porn movie and and, and everything starts coming together for him. That's, yeah, that's I, an incredible scene. It's fantastic, and it's that that's when you see Kane, the actor. I mean, it's the amount of emotions that play across his face with a couple. Of, you know exactly what he's thinking without having to say anything. Uh, you could tell exactly what he's going through as a character. Uh, you can understand his rage and what he does next. Um, it's it's brilliant. It's the best thing he's ever done. It is by by a country mile. Um, like even there were small things he did as well. For example, like when he got the script, he removed any pleasantries. I didn't notice this watching the film, but I'd say if you look at if we were ever to watch it back, see see how many times Carter actually says hello to anybody or goodbye. He just walks in, walks out, and he also pared back the violence a bit. Like it's like he didn't do six punches where one punch would do. You know, it was all very just sparing but hugely impactful then as a result. Like, it's just a master performance. Yeah, I mean, they said that the that himself and Hodges, their, their approach to the violence was to make it realistic. So, you know, no kind of, you know, somebody gets beaten half to death and then the next scene is seen walking around with just a plaster on their head. That, you know, that it should, as you say, the violence should be impactful and that people should be, I mean, if you look at uh, Alan Armstrong after he's beaten up by uh, uh, the street toughs, uh, you can mm. see he's seriously injured. It's you know it's it's debilitating. It's you know, and even when uh, Alf Stewart, not Alf Stewart, that is a different, <laughs> different soap, different continent. You drug out. <laughs> when Alf from Carnation Street is is given the heave off the side of the 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 car, the multi story car park, uh, he lands on a car and injures the the occupants in the car, which you don't, you know, as Kane said, you wouldn't have seen in the movie before. So. Um, it's 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 it is good from that person. I guess good. It's great to see great to see a bit of impactful violence, though. You know your bloodless stuff. You really enjoy. It. Really nice to see people getting actually hurt. I mean, your yeah. only wish, your only wish from watching this, God, jeez, I really hope a stunt man was seriously, seriously <laughs> life changingly injured as a result of that. Because God, it feels great watching it. <laughs> it was a movie that benefited, like, from the relaxing of the censorship laws at the time which we'll come back to in a second, right? But just when you mention Alan Armstrong there, it might be a good time just to mention a couple of the supporting actors. Some of them were very, very good. And again, we talk about being invested in, the role, in their roles in different ways. Ian Hendry, for example, who plays Eric, the guy who has killed Carter's brother and gets killed at the very end. Um, he was actually the original choice for Carter, um, but he was struggling. he was struggling with alcoholism at the time. He was in such poor shape, the poor guy, that the, the the final scene with him is a long run along the beach and Carter is trudging after him. And he finally catches him and kills him. They actually had to film the last bit first because they reckoned that poor Ian mightn't be able, he mightn't be able for the final scene if he had to do the, 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 the running bit first. But apparently Henry was a contemporary of, he was a contemporary of Kane's. He resented Kane's success and Kane was aware of this. Um, so Hodges and Kane actually used that tension if you like uh in the scenes with him and you know there's definitely your man is your man's a real sneering presence on the on the screen at all times whenever he's on it 
Yeah, I know he is. He's he is great in it. Uh, and as you say, I think the Hendry, as you say, was possibly the dark image of uh, of Kane's past or potential future or whatever the hell you said about you know him saying, "Oh no, I could have turned out like a gangster." I think if if he take the wrong turn, he could have turned out like Ian Hendry. He didn't die long after that. Yeah, no. Well, in, uh, in the mid eighties, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But you're right. You're right. There's a lot of there's a lot of kind of uh, sliding doors bits possibly with, with him. John Osborne, the, the the playwright, looked back in anger. As I say, who was a who was a friend of Kane's, um, learned to play. He he. There's a, a very intricate scene playing poker. He, he didn't know how to play poker. He went off and learned how to play. I tell you how. What a waste he, of fucking time! What a waste <laughs> of fucking time! What a waste of why? fucking time! Why? Why? It invests oh, in realism. Oh dear boy, dear boy, dear boy! I must learn how to play this game of poker. Is that how you pronounce it? Is it not like Mister Bridge? No, away I must go and find out how to play this very complicated game. Which all the all I need to know is written in the script for me. But no, I must be able to put my card down on the table. I talk about bluffs like a man who is familiar with all facets of this very complex game. What a load of shit! I tell you who is There's the a man who was bored. There was a man who was bored. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> not it was vital, vital, vital for the fucking five or six minutes that I'm on screen that I must have a complete and utter control and mastery of the game of poker. I'll tell you who was most invested in his role though was Alf Roberts. Alf Roberts was a, a devout Catholic and was so disturbed by the script that he actually went and consulted with his priest before he took the role. The priest told the priest after probably enjoying the script let's say uh, said oh no this is this is actually a morality tale about good and evil and quiet al- quiet al- right. I'm just getting to the good I'm just getting to the good bit here did you see the bit here about the phone sex yeah two Hail Marys there and come back to me in 10 minutes so like yeah in, uh, we're all invested we're all invested in it where do you want to what bits of this um, struck your eyes as it were well I, I You've mentioned the opening sequence. Um, I think, as you say, I should try to pick a point that is, you know, has not been done to that. I think so, like most mature uh, film critics, which I feel we are now, I think we need to focus on the boobage and, and sexual content okay. of this movie because it's, he's ramped it up. We've gone from, we've gone from a kind of a Vaseline smeared lens uh, opacity of uh, previous 60s movies. Let's say, think about Deadfall or The Mages. And now we're in, purely in the realm of, oh God, please stop. This looks like walking in in your parents. <laughs> the sex scenes are uh, gritty. Gritty. Yeah, there's like, uh, I keep on forgetting her name. I just called her Cheryl Cole. Uh, you got your one going around in the fast, yeah, your one going around in the fast car and kind of intercutting or her, you know, um, changing the gears. Uh, and then uh, between that and the two of them uh, have an at it in the bed. And again, Kane's technique here leaves enough. It's, it's very, very unerotic. He's again. It is essentially like he's like a truffle hound. There's a lot of snuffling in around the neck area. He's it's like he's trying to find drugs or something. You know, you would you would see a similar technique at an airport uh, from lads coming back from Amsterdam. You know, it's it's yeah, it's great. And then there's the landlady with whom he beds. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's you know, fair play to him as well. He, this is not a dis- he, like Jack Carter is not a discerning man. He is not a man who kind of goes, no, I have certain standards. No, it, it, there's very much, if it moves, Jack Carter will consider uh, making sweet gangster snuffle love to you. So, yeah, so if you're kind of unimpressed with the practical, kind of what about the theory then? There was there is the phone sex scene with Britt Eklund, who's Britt Eklund, by the way, who's in the film for about 30 seconds. And I'm, uh, I think was probably, you know, kind of one of the headline one of the headline actors on the poster. Bizarre, all right. 
yeah, the, the phone sex scene is hilarious. It's, I think it's the most I've ever laughed at a Kane movie. It's the him him insisting, obviously, he's staying in a and b So again, cast your minds back before we were born, even at the stage. You know, you go to B and B, there may be a phone in there, but it's the phone is in the living room because it's, you know, for the 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 owner occupier, it's not for the guests. So he has to use the phone, sits down, you're once there in her rocking chair in the foreground of the shot while Kane is there uh ringing uh his mistress, who's also his boss's mistress and uh, engaging in a very hilariously graphic bout of uh, phone sex while your ones rocking in the foreground becomes more uh, vigorous. It's fantastic. And a fair play to predicament. I've not seen her in a role like this since she's, you know, she's great. I normally would I think the only other thing I've actually seen her in is the Wicker Man. And, uh, so yeah, I was, it was interesting. Uh, the whole thing was interesting. <laughs> it was. It was. It came out of nowhere. Obviously, as you can imagine, got cut out of plenty of versions that were seen on TV and stuff like that. But it's, it's pretty. It's there pretty full on. I know. I got to contradict what I said. That there is no. I'm glad it's in there because it's hilarious. But there is, from a plot perspective, other than showing that he's having an affair with his with his boss's uh, mistress, uh, there is no need for it to be in the movie whatsoever. Not at all. Not at all. No. But nonetheless. You know, she she plays she, she the little while she's in the movie, she definitely brings something to the brings something to her, and I mean that like genuinely, like not just in a kind of or misses kind of way. She she really does kind of bring something to the role. Like everybody does, really. There's there's really no bum notes in this at all. Bum notes in this at all. Bum notes in this at all. couple of observations nobody seems to lock their fucking door no if, you know i know there's the, nobody appears to have anything worth robbing but jesus christ nobody's locking their door here canes walking into you know like heavily armed houses no no hassle um the lads are breaking into these b&b because the door is open there's no there's no issue there naked cane we've not covered naked cane uh, a marvelous performance here by uh, Kane's entire body as he as he strolls naked through the the bed and breakfast and threatens two lads, uh, w- armed only, armed only with his massive shotgun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, I I make it that obvious innuendo because the the other characters make a similar innuendo there as well as he chases one. They get Captain Sensible and some other lad. That's uh, right. They, they, the guy they, head off a of Captain Sensible. No happy yeah. talk though. Sorry, that was just yet another reference for the for the millennials who aren't listening. Uh, yeah, fair play to him. It's not something, again, you would imagine back when we were talking about the de-gayification that there would never have been a suggestion that he would be in a situation like that without a woman being uh, being at the forefront of it. So it's good to see we're come completely away from it. We're in a completely different decade. He's well established as a very heterosexual leading man and probably playing the most heterosexual leading man that he's played to date. There is Jack Carter... There is no messing about. Absolutely none whatsoever. And also, he's moved a long way away from the svelte feet 
shaped cane of the mid 60s late 60s when he was on the actor's diet when he could like turn sideways and he'd disappear this is a full-bodied cane the hair is growing out now it's getting that bit of a sort of a crimp going on he's on the smirnoff plan the smirnoff plan absolutely he's doing he's doing a lot of carousing he's doing a lot of carousing um so he's and he's quite he's looking quite the part i mean he's 38 years of age too he's smoking 60 fags a day i mean you know and as well, like I made the point to you I, I, uh, last week, I, he looks taller in this movie than he's ever looked. He, I don't know, is it something deliberately that the, that they've done to frame him that way? I know he's like six, six, one and a half, but he looks gigantic next to all, every other character. There's, there's been a deliberate attempt to make sure that, you know, Jack Carter is a big man. Mm. i tell you what, another thing that kind of struck my eyes, and maybe this is ridiculous, the title, Get Carter. Yes. It makes no sense. If I'm watching a movie called Get Carter, I'm going to be very disappointed if there's if there's no scene in there where a mob boss angrily points at an underling and goes, get Carter. And there's nothing in there. There's nothing there to indicate that anyone ever wants to, you know, they want to get Carter. But I mean, I mean if, you need to say it. I mean, I guess they got him in the end. But I don't know. It doesn't feel like a, just just doesn't feel quite right. It's more, to, it'd be more of a kind of crime cape or, or flick. It's not really in, in keeping with the tone here. Like, I mean, what, what was the book called? J- uh, Jack Goes Back to Newcastle or something like that? It's something like that. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like something you might have in primary school. Jack Jack's goes Return back to Home. Newcastle. Jack Carter Returns Home or some shit. Something like that. I mean, they had a couple of other names for it. There aren't much. Carter's the name was one option. Here Comes Carter. And then another one called Bent, <laughs> which makes no sense whatsoever. So, I mean, they were clearly, <laughs> clearly struggling for a name. Carter, the ultimate sex machine. Yeah, well, luckily someone else took that on and made some fine records with it, uh, I'm told. Um, yeah, it's like, it's just a great movie. It's just a great movie. But the reviews, the reception at the time um, wasn't very kind of mixed. Sight and Sound said, you know, well-constructed, good characterization, but it lacked mystery and charisma. Um, they also said this, this I found kind of indicative maybe of how critics were still getting their head around a kind of new kind of more nuanced way of, uh, of developing characters in movies. One issue was that the Kane character was very contradictory. Like, was it an avenging angel coming up from London to do right? Or was it an anti-hero, this kind of, you know, kind of feckless sort of completely without scruples, without morality sort of individual that you couldn't be both in the one in the one movie? I mean, you 100% can. He's not, he's, Jack Carter is a bad man. You know, there's yeah. no two ways about it. Then the film doesn't leave you. I don't think it's in any way ambiguous. I mean, he, he's, I mean, he, he straight up murders two women in this movie. Uh, one through one passively, and the other deliberately. So he kills. He, you know, kills Cheryl Cole by just not doing anything to alert the captain sensible and his mate that the car that they're pushing into into the the river contains her in the boot. And then he deliberately kills uh, Margaret, uh, his his dead brother's mistress. Um, uh, gives her a fatal overdose, basically to frame Kinnear, so that when the the cops raid the raid the mansion at the end, that they find the body and he, you know he has him in the frame. So he's not he's not a, he's not a good man. Um, he's he's a justification for what he does. I can you can see why he does what he does, but I mean to the extent in which he does it, there's there's there is you know there's no excuse in that perspective. So there's no ambiguity there at all. I think that's the genius of the movie is that, and the yeah. genius of Kane in the movie is that you can totally understand what he's doing, even though it's appalling. And that, and that kind of idea of, yeah, yeah, I, 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 tot- I totally get why this is happening. And I'm actually emotionally invested in it. And I think also that's what I mean. 
as always, there's a load of misogyny in this. I mean, I think Margaret, the mistress, gets slapped at once. He slaps her, a proper slap as well. And there's a lot of this stuff going on. Women, again, are being kind of used as as vessels for various different reasons. Um, but you kind of go, it doesn't, I put it this way, I was a hell of a lot less bothered by the misogyny in Get Carter than I was by Alfie, let's say. And I mean, Alfie was, you know, it was played in a different way as well. But I, I it, again, it was just the way it was all put together. Alfie was, 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 was billed as a comedy. This is not. And this is very, if you saw a character like Carter and the people that he hangs around with in the 70s treat women in this context, with respect or deferential, you would it would feel uh, uh, ungenuine if that's a word. It, it just wouldn't feel real. Disingenuous. It, it, I mean, there's disingenuous. Sorry, thanks. That's why you're the writer. That's why I'm uh, here. That's why you're here. So yeah, I mean, it would it would not play. It would not play. It would not be believable. No, no, you're right. You're right. I'm. I'm. Yeah, that's it. I mean, Pauline Kale um, for the New Yorker, I think nailed it. She said there was a calculated soullessness to this movie, and she actually. You know, touched on something she said does this kind of characterization kind of signal a new genre of virtuoso viciousness that this was you know was this going to inspire a certain type of gangster character a certain type of gangster movie did she did she forget about point blank did she uh yeah possibly well I, sp- I suppose like yeah look there's a hell of a lot of parallels to point blank actually one of the reviews actually points out point blank in a negative way in relation to carter it makes it look Point blank being a vastly superior film and that reviewers view. I think I think Carter is a bit more violent than Point Blank, if you know what I mean. It's more obviously violent. Um there's a bit more going on. I, I don't know, it's I'm finding it hard to explain. There's more uh, Point Blank is a lot more stylized than than uh, Get yeah. Carter. Get Carter is more gritty, I think, as we said, than the than point blank, and it's really kind of more you know, Ken Loach meets Martin Scorsese. You know, it's mm. very much these are the, you know you could, these are the streets upon which terrible things happen. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned the word exploitation at the very top of this episode as well, and I think you're 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 spot on. I mean, you can see more of these exploitation movies become a thing in the in the early seventies. Actually, there was a black exploitation movie called Hitman made about a year or two later that's based on the same book as Carter. Pam Greer was in it and Bernie Casey and all these other standard kind of stars of the black exploitation genre. So there are obvious parallels there as well. But it made, it made its, it washed its face in, in Britain. It made money. Like it did make money back. It wasn't, it wasn't a box office failure. It completely tanked in the States. I mean, red line, it was, it was shown in a double bill with a Frank Sinatra Western. That's how it was marketed over there. And you could, I mean, two completely different, different things. There's just, yeah, it was doomed to fail. But also, there's no way any American would look at Get Carter in the 70s and kind of go, wow, you know, it's there's no way. There should be no expectation that it would do well in, in America. It is it is what we would call now a quintessentially British film in the same way, in a different yes. way, that, that the Italian job is and was. It's a quintessentially British film. There was concern, again, uh, particularly in the first, I think the opening scene, is a is is a long conversation, a lot of a lot of strong London accents, a lot of Cockney accents. They said, you know, people won't understand this. They actually dubbed it, I think, for an American audience. Um, but it was poorly marketed. Um it 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 as you say, it did very poorly in America. But it again, again, it just reinforces Kane as the biggest British star out there, really. Yeah, I think even one of the, the campaign, po- uh, one of the movie posters was kind of done in the same style as Thunderball, you know, the kind the same kind of uh graphic design so completely mismarketed it's a dreadful poster awful awful the, the latter ones where, where it gives away the ending of the movie are much better where you see the the the, the hitman 
and uh, Carter with a target and he said as he's walking along the beach and you kind of go yeah that completely gives away the ending uh, but I suppose out of context you have no idea you have no uh, idea it, it is an awful lot in uh, common again with the Italian job in terms of you know washed its face at the time as you say in the UK but then enjoyed a huge resurgence during the 90s uh, lads and loaded era uh, where you have people like Tarantino coming out uh, obviously when he's you know the scene Reservoir Dogs of Pulp Fiction citing it as a massive influence citing it as one of the best British gangster films or best gangster films of all time uh, and then you've got you know uh, as part of that resurgence as part of people getting interested in you know it, it kind of leaps up the ranks of the BFI's top British films of all time so I think it's like the top 20 or top 30 at the moment it is about number 15 I think number 15 obviously yeah. you, have the, you have the Guy Ritchie genre the Lock, yeah. stock, and you know all these films. Which to be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be absolutely straight with you on this. I'm not uh, an expert on those movies. I've seen bits of them, not enough to even say. But I mean, I presume, I presume, was the tone and the feel of them is all Larry London gangsters. Yeah, I mean, the, I suppose the, there's you've got the lock, stock, two smoking barrels thing with Finney Jones with the with the with the shotgun. You know, like you know, images, the similar imagery that's used against Carter, but. It's not in the same league. Uh, he's not Guy Ritchie isn't really interested in realism. He's, he's kind of this hyper reality that he creates for for his movies. There are some of them are well 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 edited. Um, most of his movies are not very good. Stylized, I, you know, it's it's a stylized yeah. thing, and that's that's the huge strength to get Carter is that it is not in any way stylized, and that's what makes it no. great. Um, so I watched its face, of course, and of course we'll be revisiting Get Carter in uh, yeah. in many many episodes time again, won't we? Yeah, I mean, this is the whole thing as well. We could be looking at it when we get when we hit the nineties. Is that again? What impact does this revitalization of Kane's movies? Um, what impact does that have on his career? Uh, and I can only imagine that it involves him taking a lot of easy money to make an awful lot of very bad decisions. <laughs> one of which, one of which is to star in a remake of Get Carter uh, with the Sylvester Stallone in the lead. Yeah, and in which Kane I think plays Brumby. But as far as I'm concerned, there's only one Alf Roberts. Not anymore, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> at the time. So yeah, so listen, we're on to marks for Kane. Obviously, we don't mark the film. I mean, I think the film will be getting a pretty solid eight or nine from us anyway, but what are we giving Kane's role here? Oh, 10. Yeah, it's an it's, it's a, just a stonewall bullseye 10. I will be, I'm thinking through the, the roles that I know him for. And right, even already, I'm going to struggle to think of anything better than this. I, I just, Cider House Rules, I, I, I like him in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but it's nowhere near this. Uh, I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything. I, I hope to be surprised. I really do. Me too. I hope, to, I, hope, I hope to the, you know, looking at all the movies that we've left to watch and looking at the the, the, the movies that I haven't, that an awful lot of them I haven't seen. So, like, I haven't seen, I, I haven't seen Muppet Christmas Carol, so maybe that, that that's <gasps> the next, that's the next uh, 10 out of 10. But, you know, I hope to be surprised. Jesus, I really do hope to be surprised. <laughs> I think we all do. And now, of course, he's at this point now, he's done get Carter. He is at the, that Troy McClure stage of his career where he can go one of two ways. He can make another absolute stonewall, brilliant film, or he can do something else. It's so, fantabulous contraptions of Horatio Hofnagel time. We can't be sure if this is going to be a fantabulous contraption uh, or not. But what I can tell you is that. He heads a little bit further north uh, for the next film. He goes from Newcastle up to Scotland uh, for another Robert Louis Stevenson adaptation. How many actors can say that they were in two movies based on Robert Louis Stevenson films? In this case, 
the wrong box and next up kidnapped yeah i hope it's i hope it's just kane because i i hate robert louis stevenson books and i hate the movies that are based on them you don't like treasure island no i fucking it's other god i'm learning so much about you doing this thing and it's it's not all good let me ask you something right We've I, I, people. I mean, there are people here who probably may not. And I'm shocked, but may not have listened to the other episodes, right? Um, <sighs> our last Robert Louis Stevenson dip was the wrong box, and I think it's safe to say that we're both still, if we're not scared by it, we both kind of have a residue feeling towards that film. That well, I hope it's not going to impact on this one. That's awful. It's god awful. Let's hope kidnapped is better. I'm ex- I'm assuming there's going to be an accent. I hope so. Yeah, it's disappointing he didn't go for the Newcastle accent because uh, casting our mind back to uh, him convincing a casting director that uh, an Indian accent was the same as a Welsh one. I could only imagine that we'd be in real cancelled territory here. Oh, God. I just can't wait to hear the Scottish accent. So, listen, go watch Kidnapped. Come back. Join us again. We'll we'll, we'll rip through Kidnapped and and see if it's any cop. Yeah. And as usual, if you want to ask us any questions about Kidnap, you can DM us, uh, which I hope stands for direct message, on Twitter at MarkOfCain1. Um, and we'll see you next time. Actually, we won't see you next time. We'll, we'll, we'll hear you next time. No, actually, we won't have any interaction with you whatsoever. You'll be listening to us. Yes. You'll be listening to us next time, which is really not as uh, as streamlined as, as we'll see, you'll see us later, which I suppose we. That's what's oh. why television still has the edge over 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 podcasts. <laughs> you can you can stop talking now. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. And maybe leave a comment. Only nice ones, though. Mean comments will make Alfie cry, and no one wants to see that. The Marco Kane podcast is written, researched, and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley, and edited by Andrew Foley. Music is composed by Stephen Black. If you'd like to get in touch, you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at Marco Kane 2 And if you enjoyed this episode, you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts. The Mark of Kane is a Mallow News Two Cubes production. See you next time. Come on.